All right, let's just get right down to business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Sterling Dam rendition of the House Money Sports Podcast. I'm Wolfman J. And in the house today, we have none other than just me, Wolfman J. And uh, I'm fired up today, man. I, I ate three sugar cookies from uh, Casey's with a mountain of frosting on each one. So I'm kind of, I got like that sugar, that, that, that rich sugar high going on right now. You know what I mean? Like if you eat three of those things and you better just, you better just lock the door, go home, lock the door, you know, strap yourself down because you don't know what you're capable of, what you're liable to do. Like you could end up, like you could, you could eat those the three of those black out and you wake up and you're, you're walking down the street, you know, you come to and you'll be walking down the street with nothing on, but your socks, you know what I mean? And you're, you know, or you'll come to at, at farm and fleet or some shit in aisle five and you'll be, uh, have nothing on but your socks. And the next thing you know, you're wanted by law enforcement. So, um, you know, that's basically, um, where my mindset is today, you know? So I'm excited about this and I've actually been waiting to talk about this. I wanted to do it yesterday, but uh, I needed to let it process. I need to let it marinate a little bit. And so I want to talk today about the, 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 the New York football giants draft pick of Daniel Jones with the sixth overall pick in the NFL draft. I want to tackle that, if you will. Uh, this is where I need the drum. This is where I need any, any sort of equipment, sound effects, whatever. Like anything would be good, but that would have worked right there. Um... So yeah, I want to tackle the NFL draft. And then uh, I also want to talk about the Chicago Bears. I want to talk about their draft exploits over the weekend. Yes, I'm a Bears fan, and, and so uh, I'm a homer, 100%. And I'm going to talk about what they did. Um, I But I like to keep it real, too. I don't like to, I'm not, I, I feel like I am the common man for the common man. And I like to evaluate on my own. I don't like to take what the media wants me to think. Or like with the sports media or like, you know, I don't go with the majority. I like to evaluate by myself and come to my own conclusions. So because I'm my own, my own person. So that's what I like to do. You know what I mean? A lot of people are just, you know, just, just, uh, you know, blatantly and, you know, um, just blindly follow the masses. And that's not me. I don't do that. So, um. But anyway, I'm going to talk about the Bears draft. I want to talk about the NBA playoffs, the James Harden Warriors thing, that whole thing that's going on, the fouls, the not fouls. I want to talk about the series. I want to talk a little bit about the other second round series that are going on right now. I think that's going to be, I think we're setting up for a pretty good second round. Like the first round was absolutely fucking brutal. And I think the second round is going to be a little, actually, I think it's going to be a lot better than that. So, but it's only up from here, you know, if you think about it. And then. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Chicago Cubs because, uh, like I said, I like, you know, I'm going to talk about the shit that I want to talk about. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories there anyway. There's, there's, there's a good storyline going on there. You know, how to, how to be, my guy, how to be is, uh, you know, he is getting it done. He's turning that thing all the way around. You got Q, you know, pitching lights out like that dude is dealing right now like he's uh you know he's dealing like he's fucking here get the drum machine ready get get the check get get it ready he's dealing like pablo escobar right now um and then you you got tyler chatwood like 
being good. And if that's if he's good, that's a thing. You know, if I could steal a, a, a quote from Dan Bernstein, that is like if Tyler Chatwood is good, that is definitely a thing. I agree 100%. Like the turnaround from him has been pretty freaking encouraging, if I might say so myself. So um, that's what I'm going to talk about on this episode. Plus, I'm going to squeeze a couple more baseball nuggets in there if I can, you know, think of something. But um, so this is the sugar high episode of the House Money Sports Podcast. I might just crash 30 minutes into it. You never know because I just come down, you know, I fall off that cliff. You know, I come down from that sugar rush and, um, and, you know, we might be we might be asked out. You know what I mean? Asked out. There's a there's a phrase that I have probably never said in my life. I felt like this was a good time to pull that one out of the bag and use it. So uh, Daniel Jones, he was a six overall pick from the New York football giants. I'm a thousand percent in on this dude. I love that pick. Fuck everybody. I love that pick. Whatever his name is, Gettleman from the giants, the giants GM, who is, you know, he's been the, uh, you know, he's been out on the front lines defending this pick. You know, he's been the face of this pick. And um, I am 100% in. I even watched, for the first time in my life, I went back and watched a little bit of film on this dude. This Daniel Jones character from Duke. Football. Like, when is the last time a top 10, like, you think a top 10 Duke draft picks, you know, football doesn't come to mind. You know what I mean? Am I right? Um, but that's exactly where he is. The, the big thing about it is, though, is they had another pick at 17. And a lot of people thought that he would still be there at 17. So, you know, they, they question that pick there at six. But the Giants are on record as saying that they know for a fact that two teams would have taken Daniel Jones. Matter of fact, they have Daniel Jones. A lot of said most of the teams had Daniel Jones ahead of Dwayne Haskins, who was the third quarterback chosen two picks before the 17th pick with the 15th pick by the Redskins. So you don't know. Nobody knows if Daniel Jones was going to be there at 17. And my thing is, if you're the Giants and that's your guy, fucking get him when you can. Do not take the chance that somebody else takes him before the 17th pick. And if you have good reason to believe that, even if it, you know, even if somebody was like, even if it's a chess game and somebody's fucking bluffing, you know, somebody's bullshitting, you know, you might might come in, you know, somebody might be, you know, somebody might be just trying to, you know, play a little, play, play a little, uh, you know, they got, they got, you know, six Jack offsuit, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a card player, but they, you know, and you know, they're, they, you think they're holding pocket aces or some shit, you know, they want you to think that, you know, it's a, it's a chess game with the, with the NFL draft. Listen to Jeff Fisher talk about it, how teams will like manipulate other teams to make them draft people that they, you know, higher than they should or get them out of draft picks and all that stuff. So, you know, whatever the giants got their guy at six. Right. And I went back and watched the film on this dude. I'm a thousand percent. in. he's got that little Tom Brady shuffle in the pocket. He moves well in the pocket. He's a mobile quarterback, which I wasn't expecting, you know, uh, you think about a guy who has been compared to Peyton Manning being, you know, you think about a robot quarterback. I thought I was going to literally see a robot, you know, and you know, I was gonna, I thought I was going to see R2-D2 and I've never even seen Star Wars. Thought this was going to be the first time I ever saw, uh, you know, I mean, 
Peyton Manning's quarterbacks coach is is uh, Daniel Jones's head coach in college too. So you know, and then you got the whole Eli Manning thing in, in the, with the Giants. But listen, two two years from now, everybody, this pick is going to be a good pick. This is going to be this is like one that makes or breaks. You know, a, a front office. This is going to make that front office. I watched the game film against Clemson at Clemson, and if you haven't heard, Clemson's a pretty good amateur football team. Uh, they won the national championship. They steamrolled Alabama in the national championship game. And I saw uh, Daniel Jones play against that defense in Clemson, and he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't get sacked. You know, I watched every drop back. Well, I watched eight minutes of his drop backs. And, uh, you know, watching drop backs for eight minutes, that's a long eight minutes. You know what I mean? Good luck getting watching that whole thing. That's a long damn eight minutes. But, you know, he has that shuffle step. He can move a little bit. He's pretty accurate. He played with no talent at Duke. No talent whatsoever at Duke. His offensive line was atrocious. He didn't have any skill players. They didn't run good routes. I mean, you combine all that stuff, and then you got Mitch Trubisky uh, first year under John Fox. You know what I mean? How do you even evaluate something like that? So you got to look for the other things. You got to look for the intangibles. He's got them. I, I went into this draft thinking that Dwayne Haskins was better than Daniel Jones. I came away after watching the film completely the opposite. I got Daniel Jones ahead of Dwayne Haskins. I think it's a great pick. Uh, these Giants fans that hate the pick are just following the majority of it. They probably have never seen Daniel Jones play, and by week two they're going to be begging for him to start at because, you know, Eli Manning. And Eli Manning, you know, kudos to that guy. He, I tell you what, he, um, he, has bought himself like those two Super Bowls and being a Manning has, has bought him like two or three years at the end of his career that he probably shouldn't have gotten. But he's still there. You know what I mean? And and he can buy you, you know, four games this year if you're waiting for Daniel Jones or, or eight games or a year even. You know what I mean? As long as the Giants fan base is starving, is salivating, foaming at the mouth for a guy that they can believe in for the future that they could put with Saquon Barkley and say, this is when we're going to be good. This is why we're going to be good. This gives us something to believe in. We're going to buy in. You know, they're, they, they're, so, you know, they're, they're willing to put up with another how many ever games of Peyton Manning if they, if they believe in something. You know what I mean? But, you know, it, I, uh, I, think this is, I think this is a good pick for them. People are going to forget. You know, all about this when Daniel Jones is winning football games. So, um, and you know, they said that he wasn't going to play for three years, maybe, blah, blah, blah. I don't buy that at all. Like the Giants front office said that Daniel Jones might sit for three years. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. He's going to play soon. You know, he's going to play this year. He's going to be starting for Eli Manning this year. He's going to take over this year. He's going to take the reins this year, calling it. Um so uh, the other guy, Dwayne Haskins, right? Everybody, uh, I went back and watched some of his film, right? He's a quarterback from Ohio State. He threw, he put up all the big numbers. His numbers dwarf Daniel Jones's numbers, right? But he played with 50% more talented players across the board. He had better schemes. He had better facilities. Duke football probably doesn't even have a practice field. You know what I mean? They probably have to practice in the gym or whatever. I don't even know. You know, but Ohio State has, he had better, you know, he had better things across the board. Like he had every advantage, right? Put up great numbers. I think Dwayne Haskins is going to be a good quarterback. Do I think he, you know, does he have more deficiencies than I thought he did after watching the film? Yes. When he's under pressure, 
which wasn't often at Ohio State. But when he's under pressure, he's far less accurate. And it's, you know, if you read the scouting reports, that's that's the knock on him that came out during this draft thing. So, um, and, the, and he's going to see that in the NFL. He's not going to have 75% more talent than the defense in the NFL, especially with the Redskins. He's going to start from day one. He's going to be the guy from day one. But... Um, and he does have an arm and he could stride you to death. He's not really a mobile quarterback per se. He's kind of like Ben Roethlisberger. He'll just, he'll, he'll stride you to death. Like if he gets out of the pocket, he'll take three strides and be 10 yards down the field. So, you know, he could be effective that way, but, um, I feel good, confident about saying that Daniel Jones is the better quarterback than those two, you know, the numbers aside. You know what I mean? If you're just comparing numbers, Dwayne Haskins is the best quarterback to come out of college football in five years or something like that, and he's going to take over the league. It doesn't work like that. You have, to, you have to evaluate it based on some other things, and that's what I did. So I like Daniel Jones at six. Get your guy. Get your damn guy when you want to get your damn guy. You know what? And if it doesn't work, it's their ass. So, so we'll see. You know, but he's got the smarts. He's got the Duke pedigree. You know what I mean? The Duke brain, at least, as far as Jones goes. I evaluated a couple other quarterbacks just to throw, just to throw some morsels at you. I did. I looked at a couple of the mock drafts. You know, every there's a mock draft everywhere you look on on. If you you know you open up the internet browser, everywhere you look, there was a mock draft heading into this thing. Like mock drafts are overpopulating the community. You know what I'm saying? Like you could you'd be driving down the street. You know, your favorite street, listening to your favorite song. If you're not paying attention, you're liable to run over. Mock draft will jump out in front of your car. Like, they're everywhere. And so I looked at a couple. I I grabbed some quarterbacks. I like Drew Locke from Missouri. He, I should hate him because he's a Mizzou guy. I'm I'm an Illini guy. But he's got the cool quarterback name, you know. And I don't hate Mizzou. I really don't. Like, they hate Illinois. They hate the Illini. Like, we live in their heads. I don't hate them like that, you know? <laughs> really. Drew Locke is a, is a cool guy. He's a cool... He looks like a cool dude. Has a cool name. Uh, I watched approximately two minutes of his game film. Uh, the knock on him is his footwork. Yes, it is atrocious. He's, he's kind of like the guy... He's kind of like Cutler, where even if he has time to set his feet, like sometimes he just doesn't set his feet because his arm's so strong. He's one of those dudes that just flicks his arm and the ball just shoots out of his hand like he just kind of slings it. So if he could ever harness that, you know what I mean? He's going to have John Elway at his disposal in Denver as he was picked in the second round by the Broncos. You know, if they if he could harness that arm strength and, you know, and they could make a quarterback out of him, you know, that he could be... You know, he could be the guy, you know, all he got to do. I mean, you got Joe Flacco over there now. He's, you know, he's uh, trying to his 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 career's on life support right now. You know, he's trying to resuscitate it. He's getting this, this, you know, the clear, you know, that's Joe Flacco. And you have now you got this young Mizzou buck breathing down your neck. Drew Locke with a cooler name than you. I would feel, you know, I would feel threatened. You know what I mean? A lot of times in the NFL, it's all about situation, you know, and it's all about comfort level. And sometimes, you know, if you feel good about your situation, it can make all the difference in the world. If you feel pressure like that, you know, that could, you know, that could affect people differently. So, but with rookie quarterbacks, 
It's all about the situation that they're drafted to. You know what I mean? You know, if you're drafted to a bad situation for you, you might never make it. If you're drafted to a good situation for you, you might, you might, you know, you might make it there where you wouldn't have made it somewhere else. So it's all about opportunity too. But uh, let's, let's, um, let me segue to the rest of these QBs here. I'm just going to talk two or three more. Will Greer, West Virginia. Uh, he threw approximately 500 times a game. Uh, he was in that Big 12 offense, right? Uh, I love how they had to pander to Cam Newton. Uh, this is the first QB the Panthers have picked since they picked Cam Newton. And they had to, I love how the, they had to pander to him. They were calling it a depth move for, you know, they didn't want to upset Newton's fragile ego. Like, you know what I mean? They can't, which, which they're going to do. Obviously, but I just thought it was pretty funny. They're, they're, I, nobody else came out and did that. They drafted a young quarterback that had a veteran established guy. But, uh, you know, they had to do that for Cam. So, um, but I think, in all honesty, the, I think this is as much a transition away from Cam Newton, possibly, as it is, you know, a depth move. And not even necessarily if Will Greer's the guy, but just to plant it in the fan base's head that that, you know... Maybe Cam isn't isn't our guy. Maybe we need to transition away. So I think that's what that is. Now, whether Will Greer, I mean, is he going to be good? Nobody knows. You know, Mel Kuyper doesn't know. Nobody knows. He's 24, so he's probably more physically ready, physically, mentally ready. He's got a lot of reps in college. That's for sure, playing in the conference. So I don't even think they play defense in the Big 12. I think they just put both offenses on the field and, you know, had – had two balls going at the same time and just went up and down the field, man. I think that's how they did that. Uh, the next guy is Ryan Finley. I bet on a lot of this dude's games. He played at NC State. Uh, who's a, who's another quarterback that played at NC State? Real quick, I'll give you two seconds. Three seconds. One, two, three. Phillip Rivers. This is the best quarterback they've had since Phillip Rivers. He's uh, six seasons in college, though, so he's 24 as well. Physically and mentally, the most... Uh, pro-ready quarterback, according to uh, college football expert Todd McShay. Um, 6'4", 213. Did I say that? I don't know, but he is 6'4", 213 pounds. He's going to play for Cincinnati. Uh, Andy Dalton, you know, they're, they're trying to transition away from him. I think Ryan Finley gets a chance there uh, eventually to be the guy. Andy Dalton is Ken O'Brien reincarnated where he'll play for 10 seasons, but he'll never take you to that next level. He's good enough. You're, you know, he can win here and there, get you a couple wins, but you're not probably going to be, you know, an elite level team with him. Maybe is Ryan Finley that guy? I don't know. Threw a lot, you know, had a lot of uh, throws. He's a, he's a pocket passer. Um, but I think he's going to get a chance. You know what I mean? He was drafted, I believe, in the third round. So those third round, no, he was the second pick of the fourth round, actually. Um, I like to say third round and up. They draft the quarterback to be the guy. Fourth round and down, uh, fourth to fifth round, they hope that maybe someday. But I think Ryan Finley's a guy that the Bengals hope is going to develop into their starter. So after Ryan Finley, the next guy we got is Stidham. Jarrett Stidham from Auburn. Worth monitoring just because he got drafted by the Patriots. That's it. You know, he put up some good numbers in college, but he's going to the evil empire, which is the Patriots. You know, so he, you know, he's going to get coached up. You know, he's going to get out. He's going to get the best of the best there. Is he the dude to play after Tom Brady 
and to run that franchise after Brady, maybe. Press, uh, his 40 time was unimpressive, so that he slid a little bit, apparently. But, um, you know, he played in that SEC. He played at Auburn, played in some big games, played on some big stages. Is he the dude? I feel sorry for whoever is the guy after Tom Brady. They've had the guy a couple times to be the guy after Brady. And Brady just keeps playing. But not only that, like when he does retire, how do you follow that? You know, that's like, that's like, you know, pick your favorite musician, you know, that's like Eminem headlining a show and then he plays and then be the guy, you know, be the opening act, but you play after him. You know, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the post Jordan era shooting guard for the bulls how do you like i don't know that there's a that, that's like a no win you i don't want to be that guy you know i don't wish that on any any guy to be honest but anyway so there's there's a little bit about the quarterbacks the draft was fun i like the format the first round you know I, it's going to be cool to see what some of these guys can do you know draft grades i don't do that type of shit because nobody knows um you know there's a couple picks in there i like but you know, we'll see what happens next year. I would rather talk about the Bears. I would rather talk about my beloved Chicago Bears and what I feel about these guys. And I'm not going to so much as like evaluate and give my analysis on their strengths and weaknesses because you can you can go anywhere in the world and find that. Like you could go to the dollar store right now and there's probably a post-draft graded report by Mel Kuyper, like by the calendars or something where you could just, you could read up all, all up on that. He's been doing it for 365 days. I, I glanced at this for like 20 minutes the other day. But I do watch a lot of college football. I'm a degenerate gambler. So I, I you know, I got a little backstory on some of these guys, right? David Montgomery. Here's the thing with the with the Bears, what's happening right now, okay? Everybody, the, when you have a little success as a franchise, right, and the fan base is happy, everything that you do is good in their eyes. doesn't matter. Like, you, like, we are in the honeymoon phase right now. We love Ryan Pace. We love Matt Nagy. So whatever they do, we're good with. You know what? We trusted them, and they probably earned that trust. David Montgomery. So... They traded up like 10, 10 or 12 picks, 13 picks or something like that. I think he was 73rd overall, and they were originally slotted 87th, so they traded up to get him. I don't know if that was their first guy that they wanted, but I don't think they were willing to risk not getting him at some point uh, Friday night. Um. The thing about him is, and everybody loves this pick, right? He checks a lot of boxes. He's the character guy, good teammate, works hard, stuff like that, right? Check, check, check on all of those. All, every coach that he's ever had talks about how great of a guy and a player he is. Okay. So th- so there's a love fest immediately with this dude. And every Bears fan thinks that he is the next, he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. JC. You know, those are big shoes to fill. But right now, you know, that's what, you know, that's where we, we got him right up there. And my thing is, you know, he's got, he, he's got the resume at Iowa State, right? I think he was a three-year starter. You know, he's got the highlight reel, you know, played in the Big 12, a lot of high-profile offenses. But Iowa State is a little different. You know, they don't just spread you out and throw, 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 throw necessarily they do a little bit 
You know, I like their quarterback, Purdy. Brock Purdy is there. He, he took over for the Kempf dude last year. But uh, listen, uh, Montgomery can catch the ball out of the backfield. That was a knock on Jordan Howard. Uh, but he's not a home run hitter either. He's shifty enough to bounce it outside. And he's got some end line speed, but he's not a guy that is your home run hitter, which is which was a knock on Howard, which is why the Bears weren't as high on him, which that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of confusing there. Um, but they obviously like this dude because they weren't willing to risk not getting him at a certain point. So. Basically, we're going to grade David Montgomery on how much, how, you know, we're going to grade him on how much of an upgrade he is within the system as Jordan Howard. I don't think the Bears miss a beat personally. I think this is a plug and play. Not so much a plug and play, but if you get the right guys, I think I think it's going to work. I think Jordan Howard probably is a better running back in 1997. I think he's a top five back in 19, like 1997. You know, but we'll see what David Montgomery Montgomery does. You know, at the end of the day, he's a third round draft pick. So, you know, you just got to keep everything in perspective. Me personally, I hope he's the guy. I want him to go in and be the first and second down back. I want Tariq Cohen to be the change of pace guy because Tariq Cohen is the guy where, you know, he's the off-speed pitch, right? Actually, he'd be the fastball, whereas David Montgomery is the off-speed pitch. Too much of that, and you could kind of hurt his value. You know, he he's the he's the you know, he's, he's effective. He's more effective in small doses. So I, I hope my hope is David Montgomery comes in and he's the feature back. All right. So moving on, Riley Ridley with, they drafted him in the fourth round. Um, you know, this is a case of Twitter loves this dude. Everybody there's actually, I've seen a couple people that, 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 say that this was a little bit of a reach. There's also people that say that this is the be- Bears' best value pick, even bigger than David Montgomery. Riley Ridley uh, doesn't have breakaway speed, creates separation. He's a possession receiver. Tough catches in traffic, strong hands, good body control. So basically, you know, I, listen, I've been, trying to, I've been trying to get another Bobby Ingram around here for, for a lot of years. I'll take... Bobby Ingram is one of my top three wide receivers of all in Bears history that I've seen in my lifetime. And uh, that dude was money. Like that dude was the guy that would get that, make that third down. He moved those chains. You know, he was such a security blanket. Like Bobby, Bobby Ingram will tuck you in to bed at night and you feel good. Like you don't worry, you know, about being cold. Bobby Ingram, he's just that safety net that you love to have. Basically, this Riley Ridley dude is just another weapon. You know what I mean? Like the rich, basically this is like, we're just adding toys at this point. You know, just things that, you know, we might need. You know, how, you know, upside combined with, you know, there's, the Bears didn't really have any needs to address. You know what I mean? They're pretty set. You know, they're established at receiver with, uh, you know, you have uh, Allen Robinson, you know, Anthony Miller, one, two, you know, you have uh, Taylor Gabriel. It's kind of like the inside guy, the slot guy, you know, and then you have like Trey Burton in the passing game, Adam Shaheen in the passing game. You got Tariq Cohen. So they're set there. Right. But, you know, they're just adding pieces like this Riley Ridley dude. He can go up and catch the ball. He doesn't have great speed, but, 
you know, he's probably going to play. You're probably going to see this dude on the field. And if he's Kevin White's replacement, that's an upgrade. You know, it's kind of like the rich, like the rich kid that has all the toys already. You know, he doesn't need anything for Christmas, but you got to get him something, right? So you just start stacking shit on top of it, uh, on top. You know, you pick the, you pick the, the shiny thing that he could potentially like more than something that he already has or something that, you know, is going to see a little bit of time in old Timmy's, you know, repertoire when he, when he, when he, when he picks those tools or where he picks those toys out of the toy box, you know, that might see a little, that might see a little game time. You know, you're just picking something that might, that, that, you know, that might be, might, that you could put to use someday that isn't just going to be a waste. So, uh, they traded their fifth round pick, uh, to move up for David Montgomery. So a third, a fifth, and a fourth next year, I believe. Third and a fifth this year and a fourth next year. Then they get Duke Shelley. He's a slot corner. He fits in behind Buster Scrine, the, the guy that's replacing Bryce Callahan. Listen, Duke Shelley played in the Big 12, so you got to figure he's uh, he's a dude. You know what I mean? He's a high volume. He's, he's tested, right? He's probably... And I watched some Kansas State games, and they don't they play typically a better defense than most of the conference. Like they play a little bit differently there. And Duke Shelley always popped out. Like they they talked him up. Like he was the guy that was running around the field making plays for them. And if he can give him depth at the slot receiver in the sixth round, you know, and he becomes a guy that can make an impact, if you will. You know, four-four speed, he's a physical guy. So you never know. And then, so I mean, seventh round, you got two guys. They got Kareth White Jr. He's a running back from Florida Atlantic. He played behind Devin Singletary, who was a beast, who cost me a lot of money at Florida Atlantic. Um, You know, this is just an upside dude. They figure that he is going to make an impact. He might make the team and be on special teams and make an impact there in the return game immediately. Um, So we'll see what happens with him. But he played it for Lane Kiffin. You know what I mean? So he might not be oud and odd as much as, you know, you might think from Florida Atlantic when he gets into this environment. You know, and I think they run a triple option there. They ran the hell out of the ball, you know. And then there was a team that ran the ball on first, second, and third down if they could. And they, like, threw it on third down if they had to. Um, so Kareth White Jr., who, who knows what you're going to get there. Um, and then Steven, Steven Denmark, 6'3 guy. That's the cornerback. That's like the take a flyer on a 6'3 dude, like kind of a physical freak from Val, Valdosta State. And the thought there is that they want to hide him on the practice squad for a couple years, get him acclimated to the speed of the game and just the NFL, you know, the way that the game is played and the play calling and some of the schematics and shit like that. So that's the thought with him, or at least I've heard. I could be, you know... I could be wrong on everything I just said, but, you know, I feel good about what they they did in this draft. A grade, I don't know. If you look at some of the scouting reports and, and some of the, the Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, who's the guy? Mike Mayock. Well, Mike Mayock is at Oakland now. Like, he was such a draft guru and was such a talent evaluator that he got a GM job. But... Who's the dude that's always, like, got an orange face? He looks like he's been wired, like he's whacked out of his mind because he's been watching NFL draft prospects for, like, 365 days and doesn't sleep. And that guy gave the Bears an A, you know. So if you want to believe those guys, you know, they're getting – the Bears are getting good 
you know, not a lot of picks, but they feel like people got it. People feel like they got good value with where they were. All right, so let's transition away from the NFL draft. Uh, Bears are going to win the Super Bowl. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the NBA playoffs. Playoffs. Thank God the second round is here, uh, and there's some good matchups in the second round. You got the Rockets and the Warriors. Uh, I didn't watch a second of that game until the fourth quarter, and that's when, like, it got good. Um, A lot of people, it's interesting that James Harden is the guy that is complaining about foul calls. It's interesting that it's him. You know what I mean? He might have a gripe in that game specifically. I don't think so, though, Not especially not the last one he jumped into to, to Draymond Green. But... It's interesting that he's the guy because he gets the benefit of a lot of contact. And the Rockets are, are crying foul. If I can if I can use an analogy, slides it right in there. They are crying foul. And they think that they're getting fouled and it's not being called. And there was actually three calls that weren't made at the end of game one. But listen, you know, that aside, I don't I would not want to be an NBA ref. I don't know how what you do because this new landing rule, right, where you have to give the shooter time to land. These guys are so talented that you have to play right up on them. They can get their shot off at any point, and a lot of them, you know, they shoot to contact. They'll they'll take a contested shot because they have a, a chance to draw the foul if they don't make the shot as opposed to just trying to get a, a more open shot. Case in point, James Harden, 10 seconds left, down 3. Uh, you know, hit the, hit the step back. Could have took, could have shuffled one more step. He's got the talent to do it to get just an open look and try to make the shot. But instead, he he just took the step back and shot the contested, the more contested shot because he could flop on the landing and potentially draw the foul. So he would rather take a contested shot with the potential to go to the line than actually take an open shot. Like the game done changed from from my day. I would have just taken another step and, and tried to make the tried to make it. You know, but, you know, it is what it is. My feeling is um, the Rockets aren't as good as they were last year. The, this year, the Warriors are as vulnerable as they've been with, with KD. They just don't, then, then, then they, since they acquired Kevin Durant, they just, they don't feel like the, the, the same, you know, like they just don't feel like the runaway freight train that's just gonna dismantle people like they feel a little vulnerable you know and the Clippers winning two games in the first round against them you know go will go a long way to proving that I mean the Clippers had no business beating them in two games but anyway you know but I don't think the Rockets are as good as they were last year they're gonna miss Trevor Ariza if nothing else like if nothing else, just to just to have another body to throw at KD, you know, I think the Rockets are missing that third score too. I don't, I'm not, I don't trust Eric Gordon. Like I just don't. I don't. He uh, he's a limited guy. You know what I mean? Like he can he could have a good series and he can get hot and he can put up some points, but I just don't. Uh, he's a lim- he's limited. So I mean, if he, if you're counting on him to be your third scorer. You know, I, I, they need a dude. They need a guy like Zach Levine, just a bigger wing player that can that can that that 
is a volume. Like Zach Levine would be a guy, or like it's like Tobias Harris, whatever he is. He had three or four, I don't know. Probably that hybrid three, four, whatever. You can put him anywhere. He's just a scorer. Like they need a guy. And maybe Eric Gordon is like that. But I mean, not enough to beat Golden State with. You know, they need somebody else. They need another scorer. They need another all-around score to go along with Chris Paul and James Harden. Maybe you believe in Eric Gordon. I, I don't. I don't. That might be my line I bias coming out right there, but I feel like they need another dude. Uh, I like Clint Capella underneath, though. You know, I like what he brings. He hasn't been the same guy this year either. You know, he he's um. So I don't think the war I don't think the Warriors I I don't think the Rockets are going to beat the Warriors this year. I think the Warriors I think the team with the best chance to beat them. Bad timing since they lost game one last night. But listen, I think any of the three teams in the West have a chance to beat them. I won't believe it till I see it. I said this, but I feel like Denver. And Portland. I feel like Portland has the best chance just because they can score with them. Dame Lillard seems to be like they seem to be that team that's getting momentum and they're on that roll and Dame's talking shit to everybody. So I feel like, you know, I feel like and they can throw bigs at you like they have they have bigs that they could play and throw at you at, in waves with Zach Collins. I like that kid. I like his game. Myers Leonard, my guy. You know, athletic freak Myers Leonard. And then you have uh, Enos Cantor, which was a big pickup after, you know, Nurkic went down. So, you know, you got of size. And then you have Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum filling it up. They can score. They don't necessarily have that third score either that I would like. So that's going to be, so, you know, that's going to be tough. But, you know, they got Evan Turner. They got some guys like that. They could put bodies at KD. That's the, that's the, disadvantage right there like you like Lillard can offset Steph you know and and CJ McCollum can offset Clay but like then you just have Kevin Durant it's like what do you do with that and I kind of agree that Golden State when they decide to win they're just gonna win a lot of people think that the Rockets would have beat them last year if Chris Paul didn't get hurt and you know whatever but and you can say that but we'll never know you know we'll never know they you know they they shot over 27 from three from three last year in game seven you know everybody says you know and they but they lost by nine it wasn't like it was a one-point game or something they lost that game by nine points and i'm sure golden state's defense had a little bit to do with that shooting performance so but also i think if portland has a chance i think denver has a chance because they can match up they can match up pretty well and if uh Yo, I mean, if Jokic, that guy is playing big right now. Dude, that guy, yo, he's playing like a stud. He's a beast. He's a big guy. You know, I watched him. Like, he, I think he had 37 points last night or 39 or something like that. He's he's that guy. You know what I mean? He's a superstar, bona fide. He is bona fide. And then you have uh, Jamal Murray, you know, Gary Harris. These are young, hungry players. So I like the Nuggets too. You know, I like the Nuggets too. You know, they're not going to back down from from Golden State. Neither one of those teams. That's going to be a fun series too. Um, the Nuggets and the Blazers. You know, that series won't even start till somebody wins on the road. 
That series, that series won't even start. The Nuggets, you know, it was a good game last night. Dame went off. You know, Blazers feel Blazers feel right. You know, the Nuggets are coming off that seven-game series. You know, they finally they got to exhale a little bit. Some of the pressures off of them. So they played they played a little carefree last night, and that showed. You know, and it's tough to play in Denver. They say that second game in Denver is harder than the first game. So we'll see what we'll we'll see. But I like those two Western matchups. I don't. The, everybody thinks that the Rockets, you know, could could push that series. I I think it's I think it's a five or six game series at the most. So we'll see. Oh, let's talk about the Eastern Conference real quick. You got Toronto and you have Philly. Uh, Philly tied it up last night, right? I didn't. I wasn't giving Philly much of a chance. I just don't like. I don't like. I don't like their players. Like personally, I don't. I don't like Ben Simmons. I don't like Jimmy Butler. Like his shit, Jimmy Butler. Like his whole shit got old quick. I liked him when he was on the Bulls, and then he just turned into turned into like this super diva or some shit. Like like he needed to eat a Snickers or something. He's just a fucking asshole, you know. But I don't like Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid either. So I don't want Philly to win. I don't like any of the teams left in the East. I mean, I thought for a second I was going to have to root for the Celtics, which fuck Kyrie. I don't want to do that either because he he's just like, I don't know, man, something, whatever that guy has going on. Like there's something about his personality that just rubs me like the wrong way. So I don't want to have to root for the Celtics either. I think they're going to beat the Bucks, and the Bucks were in bad shape as soon as they started calling out. They said that they called out the Celtics as the first seed, and that is a loser mentality. I agree with Portnoy on that one. That is a loser mentality. You're the number one seed, and you shouldn't be calling out the four seed. So they were they were mentally defeated already. I feel like, but but anyway, Toronto and Philly one to one. That's just going to be a dog fight. You know what I mean? There's there's a lot of star power on the floor, you know, with those guys, you know, I, and I'll, you know, I, if I had to pick, uh, you know, I'm probably going for Toronto, like real time, you know, spin zone. I'm probably going to take Toronto to win the East or at least root for them to win the East because I half ass like Kawhi and, and that's it. That's all I can say for the Eastern Conference as far as teams that I'm going for. Like even, you know, Kawhi. It's, you know, you know, he kind of he lost some some cool points, some some diva points when he, uh, you know, sitting out last year and then whatever, demanding a trade and not wanting to play and whatever that was. But he's like the lesser of the evils. It's like picking between like fucking uh, it's like picking between um, Brussels sprouts and. You know, radishes or so, or beets. It's like picking between Brussels sprouts and beets. Like neither one of them are good, and you're not going to enjoy it. Man, and that's a tough call too. You know, but you have to pick one, or you're going to starve to death. You know, so. But and then over, uh, you know, I I don't know who's going to win. Like it's we'll see. I think whoever wins game three, I think Philly going home probably has the upper hand now. You know, they win game three. You know, they they put the pressure on. I think Philly though is under a lot of pressure to win those home games. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch. You know, 
it could go either way. Any of those games could go either way. But you got to feel like Philly has the upper hand going home for game three. And then over there, I just feel like the Celtics, some of their parts are too much. Like, they have too much talent. They have too much talent across the board. Like, the Celtics are a bad are, are, are a bad regular season team because they have too, they have too many scorers. They have too many players that, want, that need the ball and want the ball and want to score. But when, but when you get into a playoff situation – they tend to play more together as a team, right? Teams like that. So if they can, you know, put aside their individual goals for the team, that's going to make them good if they can do that, right? And they and that typically happens in the playoffs. And they went to the conference finals last year without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. You know, now they got those two. And regardless, I mean, they're just two more weapons that you could add. And the Bucks, you know, they, they, Brogdon is out game one and two. I feel like that's probably their second or third best player. <laughs> you know, I mean, who do the Bucks even have? They have Giannis, right? And he's likely the MVP. I feel like he's got to have a LeBron type situation for them to win this series. Like, I feel like he has to have. I feel like he has average like 40, you know, 15 and 10. Like, I feel like he's got to have like, I do feel like he's got to snap off like LeBron has the last couple of years in the Eastern Conference. Because you, you have Eric Bledsoe at the point, right? You have Chris Middleton in there. You know, he's a, he's a role guy, but I mean, you know, he's a good role player to have on a good team. You know, you have Nico over there. Uh, who else? You have Lopez, one of the Lopez brothers, I'm pretty sure. And then you have uh, Paul. Pau. I don't even think Powell plays that much. So, I mean, you got 75-year-old Paul Gasol. That team, I just don't, I just don't feel like they have the numbers like the Celtics do. I think, and I don't know if it's going to be a sweep. If the Bucks don't win Game Two, it's going to be a sweep. If the Bucks don't win Game Two, the Celtics are going to sweep them. If the Bucks win Game Two, you know, then you could see, then it then it could go six, you know, because Bucks might be able to steal one in Boston. I feel like if they go down 0-2 to Boston, they're not going to steal one in Boston. But I think Boston's a better team, and they eventually win that series. All right, enough about that. Um, let's talk about the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> so. My beloved Chicago Cubs. Javidi. Hadavi. 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 I hope I'm saying that right, man, because this dude has, has turned it around. What he is getting out of the pitching staff. And this whole thing, this whole thing is a situation. This reminds me of 2015 when this thing just started getting rolling. It reminds me a lot of that because the start, you, you, the starting pitching was just was uh, feeding off of each other, right? Like they were, you know, it got contagious. And that's what it feels like now. Like every start, you know, it feels like every guy wants to go out there and do better than the last guy. You got Q right now pitching his brains out, like pitching his fucking head off. He's uh, 4-0 in his last four starts. He's limiting opposing batters to a .514 OPS. For context, ladies and gentlemen, the worst OPS single season the last 38 years was Chris Davis at like .80 or something, .580. 
So Quintana has been so lights out that it's it's uh you know I started to like point I started to want something to point to to say this is why right and the reason is the one thing that I could come up with and the shit that I've heard and the stuff that I've read is you know he's throwing his change up 5% more of the time which is in baseball terms and in number of pitches is like astronomically more it's like it's, it's uh, you know, you can't really quantify it in terms of 5%. So basically, and what that's doing is the changeup, the fact that he's throwing it more, it's not because his changeup is, is good. That's actually, he doesn't have a good changeup. It's the fact that it's making his other pitches more effective. It's making his fastball look better, different, different. You know what I mean? Not necessarily even better. It's just keep, it's keeping him off balance more. So that's what they're equating to this. And you can tell he's been watching film with my guy, Hadavetti. 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 Hadavetti? Hadavetti. Um, I get that right. And I should get that right. And, I, and I'm mad at myself right now. Uh, I had it. I, you know, I had it. I felt good about it when I was coming into this. And I was like, man, I should probably write it down. But... I know he was a major league pitcher. You know, he's he, he he got a cup of coffee. I think he pitched for the Royals back in the early aughts or maybe late 90s. Um, I like what he's done. He's turned Tyler Chatwood into a serviceable major league pitcher. And, and he's got so much life on his fastball. If he could harness his talent level, bro, Tyler Chatwood could be a thing. And that's a good thing for the Cubs, you know. I quote my goddamn Bernstein. That could be a thing, and that could be a great thing. Um, now, Madden, I kind of had a what the fuck moment with Madden the other day when he brought him in with the bases loaded in extra innings uh, with two outs. But I'm not sure who he had left. And I have a few what the fuck Joe Madden moments here and there. I actually have quite a few over the course of 162 games season. But uh, that was, you know, but he came in and pumped the strike zone. And through the 98, right, right by him, uh, right down Main Street to get the out. So, and then I think he came out the next inning, walked the first guy, had a couple more strikeouts, and got out of it. I think he might have induced a double play. All the extra it runs together in that extra inning. That was a huge win for the Cubs, though. That was you quantify that one. You know, it was only one game, but it would have felt really bad to lose that game. So you kind of kind of have to grade that grade that one on a curve. So that becomes more important than just your average win. Because they had that game won a couple times. You know, they stranded a lot of runners. They were able to win it. That's a character builder right there. That'll put some hair on your chest. Um, Bodie is pipping home runs. It feels good. You need that. You need that energy. You need that big dick energy that he's bringing right now. And, you know, he wasn't a part of the, of the real runs that they went on. Like, he just came up last year. So he hasn't been a part of, you know, too much of all the success that the other guys have so this is all new to him and you know it shows and they need that they need that guy he's he's feeling it right now and i think it's uh, and and i think that it just feels like 2015 to me all over again and and you know 2015 was a great summer for me in case you didn't know but and if you need to know how great of a summer it was you can go and look on uh, the bookie chronicles barstool sports cubs carl cubs carl 
uh, did a little write up on it and I'm scared to even say that cause I don't want to incriminate myself and I'm scared to share it, <laughs> but, um, go check it out. Um, it was all allegedly and it was all for entertainment purposes. Um, but it was a great summer. Uh, everybody's actually hitting better. Rizzo is starting to come out of his funk. KB slowly but surely is starting to starting to get some pop back in that swing. You know, there was there was a hole in swing there for a while, and he's starting to show me flashes at least. Like I know that he is not MVP form yet, but you know that he's getting that shoulder healthy and and uh, you know he's doing it on the fly. So I don't think he's going to be in. KB, I don't think he's going to be in 100% rhythm until probably mid-May, and then we should see him start to really bust out, which is going to be huge, because if the Cubs are going to really seriously be contenders for this thing, they're going to need superstar Chris Bryant to put up big numbers, and the Cubs climb back up into the top 10 in the power rankings for ESPN, so I'm not the only believer here. Um, but anyway, the other thing, Addison Russell is eligible to come back. I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the moral side of this. On the baseball side, if he comes back, I hope he plays second base. Uh, I don't, I hope he doesn't play every day. He's, he's a hole in the, he's not very good. I mean, he had 386, uh, OPS last year or something like that. Something stupid like that. It was crazy low. Or no, no, 386, what was it? 386 slugging percentage, sorry. Oh, yeah, couldn't have been the OPS because the lowest was 580 by Chris Davis last three years. So, yeah, it was slugging percentage. He's not a very good hitter. So, on the baseball side, I'm not really concerned whether, I mean, if he stays down in the minor leagues or if he gets traded for a lot of bullpen help, I'm good with that. I'm great with that. You know, either way, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's really not an issue with me, to be honest. You know, he's an asshole. Of course, what he did is... is fucking shitty but Addison Russell really isn't a big deal for me either way so I just want to validate myself really quick the twins the motherfucking twins uh are looking good Eduardo Escobar I hope I got the or was it Jorge Polanco their shortstop has turned in to a dude like they needed somebody like that I don't know they're getting they're getting offense and their pitching staff. I like their pitching staff. When you go uh, Berrios, who's a certified ace for me, and then you go Kyle Gibson, and then you go Oda Rizzi, who was lights out yesterday. I think he shut out the Astros. So they're beating some big dogs. They're beating the big boys. You know, They are establishing themselves as possibly the biggest swinging dicks in the AL Central. And I, ca- I said they're going to win that division. Cleveland... They have four starters right now. Shane Bieber is their fourth starter. They don't even have a fifth starter. So, you know, Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez isn't doing shit. Shout out to everybody who has Jose Ramirez on their fantasy baseball team. You know, pour one out for them. Pour one out for that uh, fantasy baseball bench spot. But, so... And I said the Rays, you know, and they, I think they have a big series right now. Who, who, you know, I, I got to look it up. I got to look it real quick. I think they have a big series this, this weekend. No, they don't. They have a winnable series. That's what they have. They have the Royals, KC. So if you're going to win your division right now, they're 19 and nine. Uh, the Yankees keep winning, dude. The German is a great pitcher. 
you know, once they get healthy, they're going to be tough. I might have underestimated them a little bit more than I should have when I said that they're not going to run away with this shit. They won't. I, I believe in the Rays. I think the Rays are going to be there till the end. But if they're going to be, they have to beat the shit out of teams like KC this weekend. So um, if they're going to make some noise in that division, this, these are the games that they have to win. Can't take these off. They need all three of these, probably. You know, and then they feel good about it. Um, let's see what else is going on. Let's see what else is what else is happening. Um, you know, man, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to talk about. I mean, so we could talk about our lives and stuff. Like, you know, I like. I like doing this. I like doing this because I feel like I need to get my thoughts out there, if nothing else. I don't even care how many people hear it. I just like to hear myself talk, and I like to talk about talk about sports. So, I don't know. There we are. What I do need to get better at is transitions and segues and closing the shit out, right? Because that's struggle bus for me every time. I'm like, if I have to give myself a draft grade for that, like a Mel Kuyper, I would give myself, I mean, is there like D, uh, D minus, borderline D, I would say, maybe. You know, I would say that's probably, you know, the weakness in my game. I need to get in the cage and work on that part of it. So... That seems like a good segue to fucking end this shit. So, um, you know, listen up. And if you want to get a hold of me at any point for anything, you could email me at bleacherstar uh, at gmail.com. You know, Twitter, I think my handle is at bleacherstar something, something. Uh, there's also a House Money Sports uh, Twitter account. So you can reach me on there. Slide into those DMs. You know what I mean? If you got something you want to talk about, if you hate my guts and you think that I'm full of shit and you fucking think nothing that I say is relevant or makes any sense, you know, you can let me know. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, since we, since I have a minute here, right, I just want to talk about uh, the Fighting Illini basketball team really quick. Uh, they're going to be back next year and they're going to shock the motherfucking world. Like, everybody's hoping that they make the NCAA tournament. They're going to make a deep tournament run. <laughs> They're going to make a deep tournament run. And uh, depending on who they add still, I might even be going Final Four. I want to pump the brakes a little bit, but, you know, I'm a chance taker. And I think that I think that I'm feeling it right now. I usually get these gut feelings, and they usually come out. I think Illinois might be that team next year that comes out of nowhere and makes a huge run. So they got Kofi Cockburn. You know, that's the one piece that they needed that they didn't have last year, the big inside guy, you know, the dude that takes up that space, that rim protector. They got him. You know, now they need to add a whisper. Like, Khalil Whitney hasn't signed with Kentucky yet. So, and he is like the top five guys projected lottery pick next year. He hasn't signed with Kentucky yet. His boy, Ayo DeSumo, is coming back to Illinois. Uh, there's whispers that there's something surprising on the horizon. So we'll see. So we'll see. Man, but I feel good about it. So, all right, man. 
Until next time, I'll be back probably later this week. Until then, stay good. Stay classy. And, uh, you know, and uh, just beware of those sugar cookies. Beware of those Casey sugar cookies. Don't say I didn't warn you. All right, see you later. But out.